Welcome to Miss Pack Light and Color, a podcast dedicated to amplifying the voices of Black women. We believe that every Black woman has a soul story and that sharing these are a catalyst for healing for themselves and the broader community. I'm Candy and I'll be your host, Pack Light. Welcome to Miss Pack Light and Color. We have a soul story tonight, part of my partum, but before we get into that, make sure you rate follow, subscribe, and review us on Apple, Google, and Anchor. Also follow us on Instagram at Miss Peck Light and Color for updates and special content. Our special guest tonight is Elon Woods, founder and creator of Part of My Partum, which provides maternal support for future and current mommies. So that includes all of y'all and me. Hey girl, hey. Hi, how are you? I'm well, I'm well, I'm well. So you are a mom of two, right? I have a mom at one. What made you, what led you to create part of my part of um, As a mom, um, I'm a boy mom. So I have two little boys. I have a four-year-old and a one-year-old. And um, I, you know, I had my, my, my first son and everything was going really smoothly in terms of motherhood. I felt like I had adjusted really, really well to, to becoming a mom. Um, and then a few years later, baby number two came and it- And you were a full-time working mom, right? time working mom um had taken time off gone back into the workplace you know continued to progress in my career traveled with him did all the things felt like he just integrated really well into into our lives and um then baby number two came and I mean that sucker hit me like a ton of bricks I was like wait a second hold on <laughs> I thought I thought we were just gonna repeat what we did the first time and everything was gonna be a-okay and um I started to reach out to my network. You know, I had a therapist. I was fully aware of, you know, the opportunity of part, um, postpartum depression coming up and things like that. And um, and it just wasn't that. Like I, I felt overwhelmed, but it wasn't a hormonal imbalance. And that's not to say that, you know, some pieces of it may not have been um, been contributed to because of my hormones, but that wasn't really what I was feeling at least not what my therapist who I was talking to twice a week was telling me. <laughs> I was like, look, girl, write the prescription, send the script, call it in. Um, and she was like, that's, that's, I can, but that's not actually going to help. I was like, well, wait, I don't understand. What do you mean? That's not going to help. Um, and the more that we started to discuss it, and then I started to share with my mom tribe and things like that, I really started to just understand that it was more about a lack of preparation and realistic expectations of that transition from one to two or going from one to having multiple children. Mm. It was the hormones of being pregnant and my physical changes that were taking place in my body. Um, And as I talked to, you know, friends of mine and other moms and just kind of opening up and sharing my story, more moms just started saying to me, oh yeah, that happened to me too. Oh girl, yeah, absolutely. Oh, baby number two, Girl, all kinds of things. Almost got divorced, needed a prescription. All, and I'm like, well, what? Hope so you didn't share any of that with me. <laughs> I thought we were. I thought we were friends. I thought. Hold up! Hold up! Hold up! Hold up! Real quick, I was very confused. Um, and it became more evident to me that this was something that was just a very common occurrence for for women, especially for for Black women, um, and it. It led me to a space of really looking for resources and tools of how I could overcome what I was experiencing at that time. And 
more importantly, it put me in a position where I was like, I literally don't want any other mom to feel this. Like, I don't want any other mom to go into this being like, oh yeah, me and baby number one, we're like, you know, that's my little best friend, my little broke best friend that I take with me everywhere. (laughs) Got this thing down pat. And then baby number two comes and it's a question of, well, wait, how, how do these things integrate? Like, why does this feel so differently? And when I say these things integrate, how does baby number two integrate into me being present for my existing child or children, being present for this new baby, be the woman that I, you know, that I've come to readjust to be, be a, you know, be a partner and all of these things and, and all of that. And it's like, well, now I feel like I'm definitely being pulled in all these different directions. And I had no idea that just adding another person into the mix was going to make all of this compound into where it felt beyond overwhelming. Wow. Wow. So what were some of those feelings and emotions you were feeling? Can you describe those exactly? Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing for me was that I felt as if I was incompetent in every single area of my life. I wow felt like I was, you know, I wasn't a great mom to my first son. I felt like I wasn't being a great mom to my newborn son. I didn't feel like I was being a very good wife. I didn't feel like I was being a very good friend. Um, The idea of going back to work was like completely out the window. Like I literally remember telling my therapist, like, I can't add another anything to my plate. Like my plate is already at capacity. Like if this is Thanksgiving dinner, this is the first round where I'm like, give me everything. And it's like, you know, the stuff is starting to fall off the sides. Like, <laughs> if you want to add work onto this and that's like a giant glop of mac and cheese that goes in the middle. And it's like, well, all of this is just going to go like overboard. This is just going to collapse. Um, You're going to have that itis. It's not going to work. Um, and she was, she was very clear in being like, if, if that's how you feel, if you don't feel like you can take it on, then don't feel like you have to take it on. I don't, I, I don't want you to feel like you have to grit and push through it. And I mean, it was, I'm very thankful that I had someone around to tell me that because I, I would have tried to, I would have tried to just persevere and push through and go right back to work and, behave like everything was completely normal and I wasn't feeling like I was normal at all. Yeah. One of the things I feel like I heard in all that you said that I heard was that, (laughs) and I've heard this from one of my girlfriends too, who recently um, had a baby. She, she was like, so why don't people talk about this? Why don't people talk about the reality of what it's like to one, uh, give birth and then two, like motherhood thereafter, like people don't tell the real transparent story about what that looks like. And so that seems like a theme and why, you know, you develop part of my partum in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's especially, and I mean, people talk about this all the all the time. And I think in the most recent time, meaning like really since COVID started, you're getting a lot more moms um, on social media who are being a bit more forthcoming and giving you more of like the, the raw of what's happening in motherhood. I think largely because COVID just, it took so much out of us that we were like, I, I literally don't have the energy or time to give you this facade anymore. It's like, this is what it is. I'm at home, homeschooling my kids and my house is like all of the things, right? Um, and it's giving us this, um, this willingness to be more vulnerable and exposed and sharing what our authentic experiences are. And so much of it truly is to just not suffer in silence. Like it, 
Some of it is us being able to find things that will actually help us to have a better experience, to be able to move through motherhood in a, in a more positive way. And I say positive in terms of what, how we feel about the experience. Um, but part of it is also just a sense of camaraderie, right? Like just to know that what you're experiencing is common more common than not. And I'm, I'm very intentional when I use the word common versus normal, because I think that's mm. away from the language of being like, oh, this is normal, or this is atypical, that type of thing. Um, because what we believe is actually normal is probably not the norm. Um, it's just what we are, what we're being taught by society is what is supposed to be the norm, but it's like, according to who, because if only 5% of people are living like that, then why is that the norm? Like if 95% of people <laughs> Are walking around, you know, as new moms living with dressing their children out of laundry baskets, which hands raised, it happens. Um, then why don't we show that versus like, you know, the Instagram hacks of this is how you can have your laundry baskets stuck inside of this perfect little shelf and put them on the stairs and have your children carry them to your room. And it's like, yeah, that sounds good. But I don't know how many people are actually doing that. And that's no, that's no shade or shame to the women who are able to manage their lives in that way. But it's just a simple statement of if if that's too much for you, that's okay. Yeah. You know, I don't want moms to go around feeling like they're failing, which is literally what my language, like those were the words I would use to my therapist twice a week. I'm failing. I'm mm -hmm. not struggling. I am failing. I am failing at this. I am failing at that. I am failing at, you know, all of these things. And I saw something um, from a therapist on um, the internet a couple of months ago, and it, it struck so true to me where it was like for black women, when we say that we're failing is really when we're depressed and we will, we will be depressed. And instead of acknowledging that, like how we're actually feeling, our response is like, yo girl, I'm failing at work right now. Like that's literally the feeling that we have is that I am a failure in whatever this area is versus saying, I have too much on my plate. I'm feeling overwhelmed. I need help. It's, you know, this idea of being all things at all times and nothing to yourself. Um, and that for me is, is a big part of motherhood that I don't want women to continue experience because yes, I'm sure it happens to all women, but I know that it certainly happens when women become moms because you become responsible for a whole nother human life. Who created this whole side? Like, I want to go kick their ass. Like, <laughs> The same people who told us that we can't get paid enough and that we need to be in the kitchen and all the things. That person that also said we can't wear white after Labor Day. I'm sure it's all, it was a whole, it was like a picnic. Everybody was having like it was a dinner party. They came up with these things. They're yeah. like, make these rules. Who created these rules? Like somebody, were they sitting? Was it a board of directors that de defined these rules of what motherhood and all this stuff was supposed to look like? Like I, I need to talk to them. It wasn't they a woman. She wasn't on the board. <laughs> There were no mothers on this board. I'm certain that there were no mothers in that room when the conversation was being had. <laughs> Don't do the work talking about who what they should be doing. Oh, well, I think that answers the question. Like, who set up these expectations? And then it's like, okay, why do we try to live by these false expectations and put to, for this facade and and live inauthentically? Like, why are we doing that? <laughs> conditioning because everything in us from day one has been conditioned to be these superheroes 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And kind of piggybacking off off on that. So you talked about how you realized talking to your therapist, like she would not give you drugs. <laughs> thank, thank her for that, for just not just randomly prescribing you something when you didn't need it. Yeah, well, I'm not gonna fix the problem. You're gonna back here two weeks later, like, so I'm still not better. Well, I told you that. I told you they weren't gonna fix it. So, <laughs> so then there, that brings up the part about postpartum you know, you weren't experiencing it, but I think a lot of women don't realize that they are experiencing postpartum depression. And so from your knowledge and things that your doctor shared with you, what are some of the things that describe that, that can indicate for a woman that she might be going through postpartum? So I want to, I want to clarify, I was not, my therapist was clear that I was not experiencing TPD in the traditional sense that like the DSM you know, four and five defines it as being from a hormonal standpoint. Got it. Um, but statistically, and I, I share this with my clients a lot is postpartum, both depression, rage and anxiety, which with my first, I suffered more from postpartum anxiety and rage, um, which I wasn't fully aware of probably until he was about 10 months old. Um, I didn't feel the depression. Um, and that's a thing that we often don't talk about, right? Like you get the 10 question questionnaire before you leave the hospital, you get that at your six week checkup from your, mm-hmm. OB, your pediatrician, your lactation consultant may ask you similar questions, but it's fairly, um, it's fairly rigid in terms of the, how they are defining what you feel or not, right? Do you feel a connection to your baby? Do mm-hmm. you feel sad for more than four or five days consecutively, Um, You know, can you feel a bonding with your child, those types of things. Um, But what they don't tell you is that it can also be feelings of, do you constantly worry that something is going to happen to your child, that you are not fit for taking care of them? Those are things of postpartum anxiety. Do you feel a a significant, you know, sense of um, anger and frustration towards your partner because they or friends or family who don't have children because they get to continue to live an autonomous life that you can't do because you now are responsible for another human being do you you know all of those feelings go into postpartum anxiety postpartum rage and postpartum depression and we don't talk about them as frequently um but the thing that we also have to keep in mind is postpartum depression which most of us probably don't know wasn't even diagnosed as a thing until 1989 to clarify, I was, 89? I was alive when it was finally determined as an a actual medical condition that women can experience. Um, and so that becomes the thing where it's like, well, there's still so much that they don't know about it because in reality, they're not really testing it. They're not asking a ton of questions. Studies wow. that women from a postpartum standpoint are still really new because they're just in the very early stages of determining that it even exists. When you think about it compared to things that we, you know, we don't necessarily think about or we're not aware of is that postpartum depression was literally just determined to be a medical condition in 1989. So like for context, I was alive when postpartum depression was finally recognized as a medical condition by the medical field. That's after cancer, after AIDS, after like, you know, <laughs> that's just crazy. like if you think about it, right, we're talking about less than, what is that? Like, 30 years? That's 30. That's a little over 30 years. Yeah. So roughly 30 years that it's even being deemed as something that actually is a medical condition. So we know just, you know, just from a historical standpoint, medical conditions take time to do research. Mm -hmm. And how many, how many studies are actually being done from a postpartum standpoint 
on what women are going through and how we can help them. To be quite honest, it's only really started like rampantly across the world in the last like four to five years. You can only find historical data about postpartum conditions within women, what the long-term standing effect is specifically on them, not on the baby, but on women and how it impacts them in their lives since like 2014, 2015. And that's whether you're talking about the leading countries like New Zealand and Australia, or the ones who are the bottom of the barrel, which is like, you know, the UK and the US. Wow, this is so crazy. So one of the things that I didn't realize, you know, before this conversation with you is that there was different types, right? Like, you know, you said anxiety and depression. Um, You spoke of the anger. I didn't know there was like variations of it. And then the other piece that I'm thinking about to, you know, when I had my daughter, you know, you go for the, the baby checkup, and then you go to one checkup for yourself afterwards at the gynecologist, and they'll just say, oh, you're healing up nicely. And then they say, if you would like, you can go ahead and re- start back having, you know, sex. And then they'll say, what type of birth control do you want to be on? Do you not want to be on birth control? And that's all I remember from that visit. I don't remember anything where there was a check-in to how are you feeling? And, you know, there was more of like, okay, you know, you're feeling good, like, but not like, hey, here are, take this quick survey to see if you're feeling any type of these postpartum particular depression symptoms whatsoever. There was nothing like that. And I feel like that's a misstep. Absolutely. It's absolutely messed up. And it's, it truly is only within the last like handful of years, two to three years that insurance companies are even being proactive to make sure that they're checking in with, um, you know, routine care doctors, specifically your OB for you to be asked those types of questions or for them to follow up with you proactively and ask wow. you those questions. So now they're starting to make phone calls to home and asking those aftercare questions to ensure that they're being mindful of that. And you know, I, I hate to be grim, but a large part of it is because they just don't want the liability from a company standpoint that these women come back and then they're mentally distraught because no one asked them, hey, are you okay at 12 weeks? Which is mm-hmm. a case scenario, right? Like just revolutionary. We have a couple of companies, a handful maybe that have really amazing parental leave policies. But for the most part, from a government standpoint, right, you get at best case scenario, 12 weeks and all mm-hmm. that might not even be paid to you. Mm, that is so crazy. And I think the other part is, and it's so, it's so amazing what you are doing because it's bringing awareness. And I think that this is also one of those best kept secrets, right? Women don't talk about this one. Some of them might, might not even be knowledgeable about what they're going through, but then even what they're going through, they don't want to talk about it. Right. Enough for people like, wait a minute, you da, 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 da. Oh, I felt this too. And I feel like the same type of emotions and quietness come around with miscarriages and things like that. Like, what do you feel is the reason why this is kept so secret and not talked about among women? It's a sense of shame. It's, yeah. It is literally, it is cultural. It is our societies and our cultures, like their pressure on us to feel shame if there's anything that doesn't happen perfectly from a woman becoming a mother, right? Like there's so much pressure that's given to us to believe that becoming a mother and everything that's associated with it, right, is the most natural thing because we've been doing it for as long as man has been alive. Women have mm-hmm. been birth in fields and, you know, doing all of these things for decades and centuries. And it's like, this should be easy. 
course you can do that. And so if there's any type of complication, and again, we even call them complications. Um, if there's any type of complication. Oh, can, and that just in itself is just like, ugh. Right. <laughs> If there's, if, if really there is any type of intervention that needs to take place, meaning that it doesn't happen without, without interference, right? That's really what we should be describing it as. If there's any intervention that takes place, we're looked at as if there's something wrong with us. We are ashamed to believe that we have done something wrong. So either you didn't have the, you didn't do something properly as being a woman to take care of your baby, mm. not to take care of yourself, because this is not about you taking care of you. You are just a vessel to bring this child forth to life. That is all that we are good for is how the world has tried to paint this picture for us, which is why when we see baby shower registries and all those things, what do you see listed everywhere over Target and Amazon? All of the things for babies. You can have 72 different baby loungers, but you don't have a single thing on your baby registry for mom. Why? Because you don't change as a person? That is the one thing I had. I appreciated when other women who were moms gave me something. And they were like, everybody else can go give you this. I'm going to give you a gift certificate to go get a massage. I'm going to give you a gift certificate because I, I love shoes to go buy you some shoes because you just like shoes and, and do something for you. And it's like you forget about the person who's this vehicle birthing this child. <laughs> and that is like, honestly, that is so much of a, you know, that's an equal contributor to postpartum you know, whether that's depression or anxiety or rage as everything else is. And so that was why I wanted to clarify that like from a, a traditional um, clinical standpoint, mm -hmm. I didn't have postpartum, but it's one of the things that I try to make sure that I articulate to my clients is that, you know, I believe that a good 70 to 80% of postpartum complications that we have. And when I say complications, I specifically mean depression, anxiety, and rage. And I call those complications because they shouldn't be that way. But 70, 80% of them are environmental. 20 to 30% is probably your hormones. And 70 to 80% is a lack of proper expectations. Lack of support. A lack of support, a lack of actual help, like the help that you genuinely need. Mm -hmm. A lack of concern, right? Everyone calls and asks, how are you feeling? How's the baby doing? And baby gets here is a question of how's the baby doing? I was only asking, how are you doing? Because I really meant how is your body doing with you growing this baby? But now this baby is earthside. I really just want to know how the baby is doing. Being forgotten, losing a self, you know, a sense of self and identity, not knowing how to navigate this new life that you, you have and this new person that you're becoming while you have created a whole new person. There are two people born the day that a child is, the baby and a mother. Ooh. People always forget that. Ooh. You better preach, girl, because that is so true. And you're never the same. Never the same. <laughs> and, and, and that, and for me, that was in a good way. But to your point, there's all of this adjustment. And it's like, you, you're not properly prepared for that at all, that you are going to be different. You're physically, mentally, everything about you is changing like that. As soon as that baby just pops on out everything about you is different too. Even before then, like you, if you think about during pregnancy, oh my gosh. Yeah. For baby, right. Everything in you becomes, I can't eat deli meat. I can't drink. I can't I, eat queso. Right. I'm, like all of the things, all the life changes that we go through that we sacrifice to become a mother and people literally don't, when I say people, I mean, society doesn't 
teach or train us to consider all of the things that we are actually doing to become mothers instead of just considering the baby. And so that really is where part of my partum came from was because I was like, this is not about the baby. Like, yes, some of the things that I will, I'll coach my clients on is about tips and tricks and hacks and things like that about what to do with babies. But really it's about how do we make things better for you? And if what you need to talk about is why baby isn't sleeping or babies and latching, then great. But my concern is not because baby isn't growing. You have a pediatrician who will do that. And that's not, that's no shade saying, I don't love babies, but it's to relieve you from the stress and the pressure that you're feeling because your immediate thought is going to be, my baby's not doing this thing. I'm failing as a mom. Mm-hmm. Those two mm-hmm. things are always going to be correlated. It doesn't matter what the thing is, right? <laughs> it doesn't. Has a fire. Oh, I'm failing as a mom. My baby doesn't sleep six hours at night. Oh, I'm failing. As exactly. A mom. You're like, oh my gosh, they're waking up. They're they're not eating this. I'm, I'm failing. I'm failing. That was me. I thought I was failing. My baby would not sleep at all. She got colic. I didn't know what it was at first, and I just remember she was crying up all night long, would not go to sleep. And I remember Meek starting to cry too, because I'm like, I'm feeling, I don't know how to console her. (laughs) I'm supposed to know all of these things. I am literally supposed to instantaneously know how to raise a whole nother human being, even though I'm probably at an age where I'm still raising myself and figuring myself out, but it's cool. I'm going to just go ahead and do this other thing. And you know, nobody's going to tell me how to do it. It's fine. Yeah, I, I, I remember feeling like a complete utter failure and and my milk wasn't coming in. So I blame myself for that. It, it, I, I get it. It's just all combined. So kind of bigging, piggybacking on all of that. Postpartum, just even any of the, the depression or anxiety that comes with it all, all revolves around mental health, right? And it's what you go through right after it. And also ongoing, right? Being motherhood, as you were talking about living out of the the laundry basket. I still live out of the laundry basket, but I'm about to sign up this weekend for the service you told me about because, yes, my wash, my washing machine just decided to go kaput the other day. And I'm like, I got to get my kids uh, clothes ready for back to school. (laughs) Like, I got to wash clothes. So we about to sign up for it. Perfect time. It's great. Listen, now I just, I don't have to have to live out of the bags because I can just take the bags and take the folded up clothes and put them into the drawers and it's a dream. Just be done with it. (laughs) So out of fabulous laundry services, um, what have you found to be helpful to yourself and your clients in supporting their mental health and entering motherhood? Um, A big part of it is leaning on your tribe. Like, finding and making a tribe for you. And when I say tribe, I specifically mean women, right? And this Mm. is, I am not a man hating, you know, bashing or anything of the sort, right? I'm not, that's not at all what I'm saying. Men have 100% a role and a place to be companions and all of the above, um, as we all choose, right? For them to be. Mm -hmm. But there is just something about a woman and or women around you that Mm -hmm. cannot be replaced. It cannot be replicated, right? Whether that is your family, you know, whether that's like mom and grandma, if it's your sister or if it's your family, meaning the friends that become family who rally around you, 
Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking to a girlfriend about this last week where it's like literally a woman just knows what to do. She either has experienced it already, meaning that she's a mom and so she knows what the right things are to do that you need in terms of actual support. Mm-hmm. Or she can read the room and read you to know what it is that you need in that moment, right? Like it's just, or it may physically be that a woman is the only person where if you're like, my milk isn't coming in yet, you're another woman can actually feed your child. Like if that's what you decided to do. And I use that as an example. My youngest son got hand, foot and mouth. Oh, oh, that's such a terrible disease. So terrible. Right? Awful. Um, and he got hand, foot and mouth. My oldest got hand, foot and mouth once before when he was in daycare, probably around the same age, around like 17, 18 months. Um, and so going through with my first, I knew this is a tip for moms out there. If you have a baby who has hand, foot and mouth. I knew that um, ideally I would have still been breastfeeding just because the breast milk, if y'all don't, you know, I'm not, I'm a, I'm a breast milk advocate, but I'm also a fed is best. So whatever it is, is your choice. Um, but I recognize the, the medical benefits of breast milk. And so specifically the medical benefits of breast milk in this instance is your, your child has hand, foot, mouth, or some type of disease, your body will develop the antibodies to help them battle what it is that's going on. So that's why I talk about, ideally, I would have been breastfeeding because I would have been exposed to it. I would have started building antibodies and I would have given him that as a dosage, right? Every time that he nursed. Um, in addition to it, adding breast milk to their baths and giving them a physical bath, like you would an oatmeal bath or a calamine lotion bath with breast milk will reduce the amount of time that they have hand, foot, and mouth dramatically. What? So it would be two to three weeks and they would be left with scars. My son was healed in three days. Are you kidding me? That I saw that he had a sore in his mouth. I text my girlfriends who are still nursing and was like, hey, mamas, I need some booby milk. So if y'all can give me 10 to 12 ounces, that's all I need because I only need to add one or two ounces per bath. I'm going to give it to him twice a day. That was on like a Tuesday. By Friday, every single sore had cleared up. He had no symptoms at all. We were done with it. And the same thing had happened with my first son. So I swear by it. I I did the same thing every time they had a scratch on them. They pink eye. I would put breast milk in their eye. I would rub breast milk on their cut. And literally overnight, it would be gone. And it just has to do with the fact that like the antibodies that it builds, it's like the ultimate antibiotic. I didn't know breast milk was that powerful. <laughs> we could have a whole other conversation just about the magic powers of breast milk, not even about oh. breastfeeding. Because look, you just heard me tell you, I got basically got donor milk. This wasn't even my milk. I'm like, I, I bet you there's a black market for breast milk. <laughs> I would be on it. I would be on it. I was like, look, if I don't have, cause I'm 100% like, where are my nurse and mamas? Can y'all, can y'all just spare a bag or two? I just need a bag or two. Anybody got any extra? Anybody, anybody got, and they were like, look. And when I told them, they were like, well, I'm gonna get back to pumping so I can build my stash back up. So when it happens for my baby, cause they, they all have like six to 12 month old. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were like, so when it happens, you know, when they go to daycare, then I'll be prepared. It'll be in the freezer and I'll be able to add it to their bath. And I'm like, all you wow. need is add an ounce or two of milk and you're good to go. And also, even if they don't have anything, makes their, their skin super, super soft. You can make lotions out of it, soaps out of it. It works wonders. I put breast milk in my husband's eye when he had pink eye. It was gone overnight. <laughs> I used a syringe. Um, he wouldn't let me squirt him in his eye with my boob, but I use a syringe. And again, it. <laughs> Maybe you just be like, let me just work some of your eyes. You don't have to use the eyedropper for me. And I was like, okay, fine. That's fine. I was like, you want this pink eye to go away or not? 
<laughs> oh my gosh, that is so funny. I love it. <laughs> I, I didn't know the power of breast milk. <laughs> now I did. Now I do. Now I'm going to be like, do people sell it? <laughs> so you will see, you'll see people, um, like you'll see products rather not people you'll see products that describe having colostrum in it you'll see products that will describe having like having basically the the breakdown components of what breast milk consists of for like weightlifters and bodybuilders and stuff like that people know that like it's it's, it's the real big, deal it's a big it's a big deal and that's why like people you know and i get the whole like it this is not to be mom shaming but there's just some things that like it's just a science like we didn't make it up that's just it's just it's what it is it's what it is right it's just like whey protein works for some people and other people need goat milk like it just is what it is I didn't make them up it just happened that way <laughs> uh, and again that's why I'm like it's not even my milk I'm not even nursing anymore I went and got somebody else's milk and I was still like I just know the I just know the benefits of it I just want to be able to use the perks um but all of that was to say right you you have to lean on your mom tribe I got an, a great example for my therapist once um who talks about, if you just think about nature, right? She gave mm -hmm. me, um, she gave me a show to watch. Um, and it was an animal show, um, like an actual animal show about the Serengeti. And she's like, watch the storyline about the lion. And when you think about the lions in the wild, who is mm. the king of the jungle? The lion. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The old lion is the king of the jungle. He don't hunt nothing. He mm -mm. don't kill nothing. He don't birth nothing. He don't raise nothing. He don't do nothing but take naps and find other men when they decide they want to try and come be the king of their pride. <laughs> you say he just takes naps. <laughs> Every time you see something, you go to the zoo, what do you see the male lion doing? Taking he chilling. He licking his paws. And, uh, <laughs> not doing a thing, but you got a whole pride, one male and a whole pride of lionesses who go out, hunt the food, bring it home right? They kill it. They bring it back to the babies. They raise the babies. They help each other raise each other's babies, right? Mm -hmm. And she was like, so if in nature that that's what happens, what do you think we should be doing? And I was like, that is disturbing and, <laughs> and makes sense all at the same time, right? Like, <laughs> so you basically saying, I just got to accept that this just what is what it is. It's right? the circle of life. <laughs> Like, is that what you're telling me? Because I'm not quite sure I'm doing that. Um, but it made a lot of sense just in terms of being able to lean into my mom tribe. And that really, I think, is the best advice that I can give to any, any woman in general, right? Like, lean into your tribe. Lean into your other women who are going to be there to genuinely support you and care for you and hold you up and fix your crown and tell you when, you know, you think that you're failing, that you're actually doing amazing because it it's only us who can recognize that in each other. That's amazing. Speaking of tribe, I don't know if you've been watching the news or the Olympics, <laughs> but recently Simone stepped in. She said, eh -eh. <laughs> I'm not dealing with this. My mental health is not in the appropriate place. We know that Naomi just recently did the same thing. And I think the beautiful thing about Simone, when she stepped down, it allowed for opportunity for her team to actually shine, right? And they did well, even without her. Silver is not like some joke. But also then Suni, she won the goal for her all around. So 
what can we learn from those recent situations about taking mental health breaks and applying that to women and our experiences in motherhood? Yeah, I mean, I, I have been following it and I am so proud and thankful that we have these young women, right? Young women who are not yet mothers, who may not ever desire to be mothers, right? Who are taking control of not only what their experience is, but also the narrative around the experience, right? To, to be able to say, not only am I going to make this decision of what's best for me, but I'm also not going to allow you to project your story onto me and make me continue to feel that because I know that what I'm doing is the right thing. Um, and I think that it's, it's such a strong sign for us to be able to see that type of vulnerability exposed in the public light to allow us to feel like as everyday women, especially as mothers, to feel comfortable with being vulnerable in that way. Um, mm. I had my own vulnerable experience in that way. And I'm forever thankful for, you know, the women in my tribe. I have a, a girlfriend, a close girlfriend of mine who lives here. And um, when my youngest son was about three months old, I, this is, you know, after I'm having the conversations with my therapist and all those types of things, and I'm still, I'm still struggling. I'm still struggling every single day with the feeling that I am failing. And I basically did the, you know, phone a friend. And I was like, I need to come to your house for the weekend. Mm. I need I need to bring my children to your house for the weekend. And is that okay? Do you have capacity? And I was also being mindful, right? Because she has her own family. Do you have capacity for me to do that? Mm -hmm. Do you have emotional capacity for me? And she's like, absolutely. And so for me to literally just be able to go and stay for 48 hours or 36 hours with a girlfriend where when I was having a, what still, and I'm gonna try not to get emotional about it, what I still to this day view as, one of my very lowest points of motherhood to date mm. um, with my oldest son, I was so thankful that she was there just to do the basic things, to just say, I will take the baby so that you can spend one-on-one -on -one time with your oldest, go and take a nap and I'll take both kids so that you can just rest because we don't realize how much of, of all of this, honestly, is really sleep deprivation, right? Like I tell my clients, sleep deprivation is used as a war tactic for a reason, y'all. They do that to people because it's dangerous. This is mm -hmm. not okay. Mm -hmm. Nine mm -hmm. times out of 10, if you're feeling overwhelmed, go take a nap. Like mm -hmm. for real, for real, go take a nap. And, you know, people who are supporters of, of birthing parents and things like that, and they want to know how can you best support a new parent, come over and let them take a nap come over and watch their child so that they can go to sleep. Mm. And that baby might be sleeping too. And you might just have nothing to do but sit on the couch. That's okay. Just be there so that if baby wakes up, you can be there to let them get an extra hour so that they can get four hours of un uninterrupted sleep. And if you're a really great like supporter, come over at night, come spend the night and just be like, I'm gonna take the night shift. So mm -hmm. that, you know, a new mom or a new dad can get, through the night sleep. That is the thing that, you know, is, is really remarkable. And so I think um, to the question that you're asking about Simone and about Naomi, I think that it's really that idea of just feeling comfortable with being vulnerable, right? Because it took a lot for me to be able to say to my friend, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to make it if I don't get help. And I'm trying every outlet that I can. And I'm, what I'm, what I know will work right now is that I need someone who knows me 
and really like, and sees me, mm. right? To be vulnerable enough to say, this is me and to feel comfortable to not feel like you're going to judge me because I'm saying I need help. Mm. Mm. And that is, I think, what is so valuable about what Simone and Naomi have been doing is because it's, um, it really is just, it's profound to be vulnerable like that, especially when the entire world is watching you on a world stage. And criticizing you. And it, it, it was so, it, the criticism is so interesting to me. It's like, she's weak. She doesn't have mental toughness. How could she just not, you know, stick it out for her friends and for her teammates and for the country? Do this for us. Like I, she, that woman doesn't owe any of us anything. She doesn't owe this country anything. She's already got given us several goals. She's already pushed through having a sexual assault. She's always pushed through several injuries to achieve the things that she's already has done. But you want her to put her total life in the line yep. for people who really actually don't care for her. No, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I think in, in all of like the headlines, the most profound things that I've seen so far have been two quotes from her in different parts of kind of diff yeah, different phases of where she uh, made her announcement. And the first being right after she made her announcement and she did an interview and the very last line of her quote was, um, I hope that they will still love us. Referencing the public, right? Because she knew they weren't going to win the gold. And she was like, I, you know, I know that we're not going to win the gold, but the silver is still, it's still really good. And I'm really proud of my team. And I hope that they will, that they'll still love us. Mm. Um, and that was, that was a deep blow to me because I, because I felt it right. Like I felt how she was feeling to feel that sense of weight and responsibility on her shoulders as a young girl. Like, I mean, yes, she's a woman, but she's still, she's young. She's still a baby. And then the, the last quote that I saw from her was in an interview was like I think maybe a tweet that she posted um was her saying that she has received an overwhelming amount of support and for the first time mm -hmm. she felt loved as something more than just a gymnast and it was like you you again both of these right when you see them the paradox of them right like mm -hmm. to be like I hope they still love us and to be able to see that there are people who are like girl do you and if somebody got something to say come see me about it. yeah come pull up who, yeah. who got something to say where your medals at show me some backflips that you can do you can thank you thank you, you. Can, can you touch your toes and you talking about she should have stuck it out some of these people can't jump off the couch they see their toes the alone touch their toes and you over here talking about she should have gone ahead and she shouldn't have made, it's because she made a mistake and that's why she decided to quit. And it's like, no, she made a mistake and she realized that the mental space that she was in was this, I'm failing, right? It's that same thing that we talked about is that I made the mistake. And so now I'm a failure of a gymnast. I'm failing my team. I am failing the state of Texas. I'm failing the country of the US, right? And mm -hmm. if you go into doing things in that spiraling negative thought, it will take you to such a deep and dark place that she was like, I got to stop it right now. Before I start going down that deep hole that I know I've probably been down before and I've had to pull myself out of that no one else has pulled her out of, right? Because when you go down that dark hole, no one can pull you out of it. You got to pull yourself out of it. And it's not an easy feat. Mm -hmm. So for her to do that time and time again and see that, she's like, honey, I'm tired. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I don't want to do that again. So let me stop before we go there. These girls are amazing. I'm great. Let me believe that I'm great without having to prove anything else. Correct. And I'm going to just go have a seat and cheer my friends on. And the thing, the lack of education, because I had to get educated, the mistake was not a small mistake. Correct. It was a life-threatening mistake that she made. And if any of those things can continue, she could be dead. Uh, Like her career could be over with that type of injury. So I'm like, yeah, you in that type of mental space to where you can cause that type of physical harm to yourself, then yeah, girl, to sit it down, sit it down, get yourself right. Cause it's not worth all of that, but it's just so interesting that how those same expectations that they expect or whoever this board of directors were a long time ago that wrote these motherhood rules is the same board of directors that sat here and wrote these rules about how we're supposed to be living our lives to appease other people as women. And I just don't understand that. <laughs> the crazy part is the board of directors that had that meeting are probably dead and gone now. That's how long they've been, these rules have been written. They probably not even around anymore. People don't even know. The people who were like, this is what it's supposed to look like. They probably have our great grandparents, you know, ancestors that have moved on. And we over there still living by these make-believe rules. And it's, it's, it is discouraging, but also very encouraging to see this generation of, you know, the next set of women who are coming up who are saying, I am going to take my power back today. I'm not going to wait until it almost destroys me. Correct. Or- go and take my power back I'm going to take it now so that I can thrive and and feel good every day they said no period (laughs) period no that was it no explanation no period reclaiming my time please (laughs) I've got to expanding on that a little bit I know for me that and we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier but how you're forever changed once you become a mother and for me there's a lot that motherhood has taught me about my womanhood so for you what has that been for you um I would say the the two greatest things that motherhood has taught me is um truly what unconditional love is Mm. And, um, I, this, this may hit hard for some, some, some married folks. I believed I loved my husband unconditionally, right? I did. Mm -hmm. And then my son came along and after about a year, I realized that there were a lot of conditions that I had. (laughs) (laughs) And not all of them were reasonable, right? Yes. Yes. Um, And I only understood that because I recognized how I was able to so freely give unconditional love to my son without Mm -hmm. an expectation, right? Mm -hmm. Who he was supposed to be, what he was supposed to do. I had all this grace. I had all this forgiveness, all this patience, all this understanding. And um, that was part of, part of, I think my awakening of me realizing that I had postpartum rage um, and anxiety was like, you are given a whole lot over here to this baby. And you don't even give a fraction of that grace and patience and understanding to the person that helped you create this baby. Um, and mm. that was more of a, that actually feeds into my second biggest piece of learning, which was that um, babies are the, are the greatest mirror that you will ever have. 
Ooh, that's so true. Like the, like, and it's the fastest, it is the fastest learning reflection of what, how your behavior and your actions have reactions and implications to them. Um, I tell my clients all the time, right, that if a baby is only three weeks old, one day of doing something in their life is comparable to, you know, three years in yours because you've been living for 30 years, right? Because you have to compare proportionately, right? Mm -hmm. So when you, when you do something two days in a row, baby's like, okay, bet this is our new routine. This is what we do. Cool. Mm-hmm. Whereas it might take you years or months of doing something in another area before you see the impact of what it's caused, right? So if you've fallen off from eating, if you've fallen off from being nice, if you've fallen off from doing your self-care, right? It takes a while for you to start to see how much you've drifted off course. Whereas with a baby, you see it pretty quickly because they're like, six hours of us doing this. This is what we do now. You're like, well, no, this not what this was. I, this was just today. And it was like, well, all I got is 10 days in. So what you <laughs> <laughs> like, this is what we do now to me. Um, and so coupling those two things together is really what made me having my son be a mirror to my behavior, my actions mm. allowed me to start to see myself and, um, my whole point of saying that I wasn't necessarily giving unconditional love to my husband was more of a awareness for who do I want to be as a woman? Mm-hmm. I want to be as a person. How do I want to be seen? How do I want to show up for people? What's the legacy that I want to leave? Um, and when I say legacy, I don't just mean like when I'm gone, right? I mean, like every day when people- A living legacy. You leave, me, yeah. right? when I'm not around. Like, what do they say? What, what feelings do I give them? Because I think about that all the time in terms of what's the care that I give to my son. So it made me reflect on all of the things that I was doing in terms of the care or the, the, you know, the output I was providing to everyone. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's also a big part of what sparked part of my partum to me is me realizing that in terms of me walking into my purpose, I wanted to give good. I yeah. wanted, you know, my legacy to be that people walked away feeling, feeling held, feeling seen. And so I wanted to really do something where I could give my best. I wanted to show up in ways where every day I gave my best because it was always important for me to give my best to my children. And I was like, well, for you, you should show up and give your best to everything mm. all the time, not just to them. Mm. Mm. That's good. That is so solid. <laughs> so wrap it up, lady. What advice do you have for women as they're preparing to go into motherhood? My advice would be to give yourself grace. Mm. Yeah. Give yourself all the grace. Um, you, you cannot, and you will not know everything and that is okay. Mm. Um, and that is through pregnancy, through labor and delivery. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't attempt to be prepared, right? You can have preparation, but do not feel so much pressure that you are expected to know all of the things because you won't and know that the universe gave you and your baby to each other for a reason for you all to learn and figure each other out each day. So your baby is figuring out how to be a baby every day that you're figuring out how to be a mom. Mm -hmm. And that is exactly the way it's supposed to be. You don't have to know it all. You don't have to have it figured out. 
it's okay for you guys to figure it out. And that was kind of always my thing with my boys was I would have just real life conversations with them. I don't, you know, okay, I'm, I'm here. Mommy's here. You're safe and you're loved. Those were the two things that I would say to them over and over again that I knew for sure. Now, I didn't know why else they might be crying, right? Like they might just be crying. I couldn't figure it out. I was like, but I don't, I don't know what to give you, but I want you to know that you're safe and you're loved and mommy is here and we'll figure it out. I know that you don't know. I don't like, I would just have conversations with them. And, um, and that helped me tremendously just in terms of, of giving myself grace in terms of like realizing that I, there was no way for me to have known it all. And that was okay. It is totally a learning process and you never become an expert at it because they're continuing to grow. And once you feel like, oh, I got this one part down, they become two and then you, okay, then they become three and it's different and they keep evolving and changing, which means you have to continuously evolve and change as well. So it's a learning on the job situation. (laughs) You're learning and evolving and growing as your own person as well. Correct. Correct. It's the you, there's the them, and then there's the dynamic between the two of y'all. But those are three separate pieces that you still are constantly right, that are constantly in motion and you're figuring out. It's, and that's just, that's just the way it's supposed to be. That's the beauty of it. Yeah, it's totally a fluid situation. <laughs> and that's the beauty, like you said, that's the beauty about the, all of it. And I think, like you said, when you just have grace for yourself in the process and learning, it allows for you to be present. Absolutely. which is absolutely honestly the key so if you can give yourself grace you'll be present and you won't miss out on the moments and you'll you'll be in tune you'll be there like you said I'm here like I'm here <laughs> and you're safe in your love and there we go that's it that's, that's that's all that really actually matters that's all that really actually matters are you safe are you great the rest of this we can figure out <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, lady. This is such an awesome conversation. And I like every time I talk to you, I learn something new. (laughs) And I'm like, I've been doing this for eight years. And she just taught me breast milk is like superpowers. (laughs) I was like, I could have spent 45 minutes just talking about the magic powers of breast milk. But yeah, we're gonna have to talk about that over uh, lunch or drinks or something. I want to know. So yes, deepest of gratitude to you, lady, for joining me tonight. Please tell the listeners how they can connect with you. Thanks so much for having me. I am at Pardon My Partum. Um, that is P-A-R-T-U-M, Partum, um, on Instagram, on Facebook, and my .com is PardonMyPartum.com as well. So you can find me in any of those places. I do free consultations. We can figure out if something might work for you um, and go from there. You guys definitely check her out. Like, you, like I said, I learned something new tonight as well. So you are never too much in the know. So yes, thank you listeners for catching us. Catch you next time. And as always, pack light. Thank you for joining us on Miss Pack Light in Color. Make sure you subscribe and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Miss Pack Light in Color. Pack light.